When you're anxious about a difficult conversation, you can't plan the other person's response. But you can plan when and how to approach them. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah reveals Esther's plan for holding a dangerous dialogue with her husband, the king. As he continues his series on Esther for such a time as this, here's David to introduce today's message, Courage in a Crisis. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We're studying the book of Esther. We're in the fifth chapter today in the first 14 verses and part one of Courage in a Crisis. We have followed Esther on her a God-honoring journey, and she's come before the king, and she's done it with great courage, and we learn more about what happened here in today's lesson. We'll conclude Courage in a Crisis tomorrow, and then we have an interesting title for Thursday and Friday, Divine Insomnia, When You Can't Sleep, What God is Up To. Well, if you've been following along, our resource for the month of March is the Promise Code by O.S. Hawkins. It's 40 Bible promises that every believer should claim. These promises are absolute guaranteed promises from God, and O.S. has a chapter on each one of them. He has illustrations and other references, motivational uh, moments in each chapter. This is just a book you should have. It's something you can read uh, every day for 40 days, or you might want to sit down and just read it. You can read it in a short time. But it's just one of those books you need to have, and we try to find them for each of the months of the year. This is one of the better ones, and I hope you will get your copy. Here's what you need to do. Send a gift of any size to Turning Point during the month of March and ask for the code book. And we'll send it to you. It's our way of saying thank you for trusting us and investing in what we're doing to transfer the gospel everywhere in the world. We have a long way to go, but we're really making progress. In 17 different languages now, Turning Point is being broadcast. And by the grace of God, we're not going to stop until we've turned over every stone that makes it possible for us to take God's word into the lives of people. Your part in all of this is so important. We never want to take it for granted. So our goal is to build your library with books that will be available to you for the rest of your life and even be able to hand them off to your children and share them with your loved ones. These books are meant to encourage you and motivate you. And uh, we're glad that we have this one for the month of March, The Promise Code by O.S. Hawkins for a gift of any size. Ask for it when you send your gift. And now here is Courage in a Crisis. How do people face the challenges of life without God? And I don't know what your crisis is this week or what it was last week or what it will be in the weeks to come. But the book of Esther teaches us that we can learn how to trust God in such a way that when the moment of crisis comes in our life, we can have the courage to be God's person. As we come to the end of the fourth chapter, you notice in the 16th verse that Esther has come to a willingness to go before the king and plead the case of the people. She calls together all the people in the land, all of the Jews, and she challenges them to fast, to neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. And she said, I and my maidens will fast likewise, and so I will go in unto the king, which is not according to the law, and if I perish, I perish. 
And that's where we ended in the fourth chapter. As we begin the fifth chapter, we see in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 5, Esther's interview. Now note as we read the text. Now it came to pass on the third day that Esther put on her royal apparel and stood in the inner court of the king's house over against the king's house. And the king sat upon his royal throne in the royal house over against the gate of the house. And it was so when the king saw Esther the queen standing in the court that she obtained favor in his sight. And the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. So Esther drew near and touched the top of the scepter. Then said the king unto her, What wilt thou, Queen Esther, and what is thy request? It shall be given to thee even to the half of the kingdom. Now, according to Jewish reckoning, the three days that are mentioned here, during which time Esther and her maidens were fasting, these three days meant part of the first day, the full second day, and part of the third day. Esther and her maidens had spent these days in fasting. And by implication, we can also believe they were praying. And they were dressed, no doubt, in the clothing of fasting, in mourning garb, in sackcloth and ashes, as the Jews were prone to do when they were seriously reaching out to God. On the third day, we are told by the text, Esther took off her mourning clothes and put on her queenly garb. And she was going to approach the main entrance to the place where King Xerxes sat. She was going to seek to have an audience with the king. In the very process of doing this, Esther knew that she was violating the law. Look back in your Bibles at chapter 4 and verse 11. Notice what it says here. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces do know that whosoever, whether man or woman, shall come into the king into the inner court who is not called, there is one law of his to put him to death except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter that he may live. But I have not been called to come in unto the king for thirty days. So Esther knew that by the very virtue of her moving into the area of the inner court, she was risking her very life. If the king, for some reason, was not in the mood to summon her with the golden scepter, she was a dead woman, and she knew it. One author that I read this week describes the scene rather graphically, and it goes like this. You can stand at one end of the audience hall where Esther was. Six rows of mighty columns would dwarf her. Ceiling beamed with cedar stretched above the great pillars. The walls were magnificently lined with glazed brick in many colors. At the far end of the hall, on a raised platform some 250 feet away, sat the king, resplendent on his golden-covered throne, holding the golden-covered scepter. His trappings were designed to overawe and to intimidate. Innumerable reliefs from the time show Persian kings in this very posture, always holding the scepter symbolic of their power. The gold throne and the rich fabric shimmered in the distance. Esther, who perhaps by this time was faint from the lack of food, 
breathlessly watched the scepter in the king's hand, would it move or must she die? It's not hard to get into that moment in her life, is it? And to think the thoughts that were going through her mind at that moment, would this be the last day she spent on planet Earth? And yet verse 2 of the fifth chapter tells us that it was so when the king saw Esther the queen standing in the court that she obtained favor in his sight and the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. So Esther drew near and touched the top of the scepter. The scepter moved in the hand of King Xerxes and Esther had to walk the enormous length of that long hallway. But at the end of it, she saw the scepter as long as a man's height, as tall as the king himself. And this scepter was extended to her and she must touch it to complete the process of now being accepted before the king in this impromptu visit. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord as the rivers of water. He turneth it whithersoever he willeth. Proverbs 21, 1. While Esther was afraid, not knowing what would happen, God had King Xerxes in his hand, did he not? And he was moving the king's heart to accept Esther in his presence. And we read in the third verse that the king said to her, What wilt thou, Queen Esther? And what is thy request? It shall be even given thee to half of the kingdom. Now it is quite evident in the statement that Xerxes or the Ahasuerus of Persia made to Esther that he was aware that this was more than just a casual visit on the part of the queen. Nobody could have realized more than did Xerxes that Esther had actually risked her life in order to have an audience with him that day. Only something that was of great importance would have caused her to do that. The king knew that this, as far as the queen was concerned, must have been a matter of life and death. Note that his question is not, what have you to tell me or what do you want? He was not just in the listening mood. He didn't want to just know what was on Esther's heart. He was wanting to do whatever it was that Esther wanted him to do. He says, what is thy request, and it shall be given thee. If ever a woman had a blank check, Esther had it right then. I wonder how many of you men have ever given to your wives such an opportunity. What would she do with this blank check that was now given to her by the king? Perhaps we should not take the statement too literally. Some scholars believe that he did not necessarily mean that, that he did not necessarily mean that if she asked for half of the kingdom, she could have it. There is a similar instance in the New Testament where Herod promised the daughter of Herodias anything that she might ask of him, even to the half of the kingdom, and he had no way of knowing that what she wanted was the head of John the Baptist. And after he had made such a commitment, I think he would have gladly given up half the kingdom because of the turmoil that was caused by John the Baptist's death. Esther, however, had decided at that moment in time not to blurt out what she wanted. She is a woman of great restraint. She has a blank check from the king, but she does not tell him what she desires. Instead, she has decided that she will invite the king to a special banquet. She will get him in a good mood. 
she will put him in the right position so that what she really wants she can get from him notice what she says in the next verse and Esther answered if it seemed good unto the king let the king and Haman come this day unto the banquet that I have prepared for him this brings us to section number two of this chapter and that is the king's invitation the king's invitation Esther's interview and the king's invitation now can you put yourself in Esther's place and do you wonder at this point in the story when her objective was to get rid of Haman who was going to slay all the Jews why she didn't just at that moment say all right king if I can have whatever I want what I want is I want Haman dead I want his head I want him killed right now and I want all this anti-semitism stopped but the time was not ripe for that she was not prompted apparently by God inwardly to make the request and so she sets up the king in the most beautiful and majestic way here is the heart of a woman fully played out and documented for all of us to study she is going to put him in a position where he cannot but say yes she says if it seems good to you O king why don't you and Haman come this day unto the banquet that I have prepared for him now it is interesting that this was calculated to interest the king because Haman had become the king's favorite son and obviously King Xerxes did not know what Esther's feeling toward Haman was at this time but he was probably very taken by the fact that not only had Esther invited him to this dinner but she had invited the man that he had set up to carry out the process of exterminating all the Jews and bringing great treasures into the Persian economy and the fact that she spoke of the banquet as already having been prepared is also very interesting notice in the fourth verse Esther answered if it seemeth good unto the king let the king and Haman come this day unto the banquet that I have prepared for him she had already done this she had already made the banquet it was in readiness it was in waiting for her and Haman and King Xerxes to attend now I want to say something that you may not agree with but I do believe and we're going to see this a little bit as we move into the rest of the story in the fifth chapter I don't know if Esther did in that moment what she had planned to do before she got into that moment have you ever gotten yourself into a situation where you have a hard thing to do and you get into that situation and instead of doing the hard thing you do something that's almost like doing the hard thing but not quite and you extend the process just a little bit longer I have told some of you about the challenges in my life as I was growing as a pastor challenges in learning how to witness which for me was a very hard thing how I used to go to homes and talk about everything under the sun except spiritual things and then get in my car and go home and feel guilty for the next week until I had the courage to go try again how I would go in with the absolute certain conviction that while I'm in this home I am going to talk to these people about Jesus Christ and when I got in the home we would talk about everything else but Jesus Christ and I'd get in the car and leave and go home and sometimes even make an appointment to come back next week for what I did not know because the hard thing was to be done but in the moment of crisis I could not do it 
Perhaps that is what is going on in Esther's heart. And one of the reasons I believe this is because as we further understand the story, you will see her once again postponing the moment of truth. You can see the feeling of the king in the verse. He says to Esther, you ask me what you want and I will do it. Esther makes the request. And while Esther is very, very gracious in her request to the king, in verse 5 we read that the king said, cause Haman to make haste that he may do as Esther hath said. There was no equivocation on the part of King Xerxes with regard to this moment. He didn't ask Haman to come. He said to his people, you tell Haman, get to this dinner. Esther's invited us and we'll both be there. So the king and Haman came to the banquet that Esther had prepared, verse 5. Now, we discover in the process that the king has been very generous to Haman. He's made him the prime minister. As I said, he's his favorite son. He has given Haman his ring, remember that? He let Haman sign all of his documents for the extermination of the Jews. But when the comparison is made with the queen, and when the queen says, we're going to have a dinner, Haman has no say in it at all. He is ordered to arrive at the palace and to sit at meat with Haman and Xerxes and Queen Esther. You can see that one of the things that Esther is doing is playing on the curiosity of King Xerxes. He wants to know what she wants, and she says, well, I'm not going to tell you right now. Why don't you come to dinner with me? We are told in verse 6 of the fifth chapter that the king said unto Esther at the banquet of wine, now they're seated at dinner, what is thy petition? And it shall be granted thee. And what is thy request? Even to the half of the kingdom it shall be performed. Now catch the pathos of this thing. The thing that she wants, the thing that she's really after, is the death of the man who is seated at meat with them. He is across the table. All she has to do really is point to Haman and say, what I want is his head. But watch carefully what she does. Then answered Esther and said, my petition and my request is, and I don't know how you interpret this. I've read this in many commentaries. And some folks believe, and I rather assume that it is, that right at that moment she meant to make a request. It's almost like the statement is interrupted. She seemed to start to tell him. She seemed to start to say, my request is, and then something stopped her. I don't know what it was. Maybe it was the whisper of God in her heart. Maybe a still small voice. Maybe she looked at the king's face and realized, nope, it's not the right moment yet. (laughs) But she was obviously not aware of the fact that what she was going to request was not yet fully prepared on the other side of the ledger. As someone has written, Haman's iniquity was not yet full. In fact, in the next 24 hours, Haman would build a gallows for hanging Mordecai, then make his ultimate reach for honor, and in those same 24 hours, and I don't want to get ahead of the story, the virtue of Mordecai would be brought strangely to the king's remembrance and divine insomnia. It really, it is true. The king, in the next 24 hours, is not able to sleep. And he asks for the books to be brought, and he begins to read, and he realizes that he has not honored Mordecai for warning him about an insurrection that had come up against him. And all of these things are going to happen in the next 24 hours. Esther doesn't know this. But at the moment when she's about to make the request, she seems to be stopped. Read how it's spread out here in the scripture. 
And then answered Esther, verse 7, and said, My petition and my request is, and I've got a little line in my Bible, because I don't think she next said what she had planned to say. And then watch what happened in verse 8. If I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it pleased the king to grant my petition and to perform my request, let the king and Haman come to the banquet that I shall prepare for them, and I will do tomorrow as the king has said. Now, wait a minute. Didn't we just go through this? Didn't we just get invited to a banquet? That's right. But here's another one. Do you know what she said to the king? She said, I'll tell you what my request is. My request is, no, not today. I'm not going to tell you to tomorrow. (laughs) You got to come to another banquet before I tell you what I really want. By this time, Xerxes, who was the most powerful man in the world, you can imagine this guy is going crazy. What does this woman want? And of course, while this is a postponement of the ultimate, as I've already mentioned, a period of 24 hours that would be most crucial to Esther receiving her request was now underway, and we'll see how that all unfolds. Well, that's the second part of the chapter. Now we have to move on to the ninth verse, and we have to leave Esther, and we have to leave King Xerxes for just a moment, and we really won't get back to them until we meet the next time. We won't find out what's in her heart, and we won't find out how Xerxes is going to respond to it, but we take a little right turn now in the ninth verse, and we follow Haman out of that meeting. Now watch this. If Xerxes confused about what happened, think about what's going on in Haman's mind. He doesn't even know why he got invited to this thing in the first place. He's come to the first meeting. Now he's got another invitation in his pocket for the next meeting, and he doesn't know what that's about either. And notice ninth verse. Then went Haman forth that day joyful and with a glad heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he stood not up nor moved for him, he was full of indignation against Mordecai. Isn't it interesting? This guy just came out of a big party. He's had a private dinner. Now watch this not just with the president, but with the president and his wife, and no other guests were involved. He was the only one there. He's come out of this great moment, and he walks down the street toward his home, and he sees a lowly judge by the name of Mordecai. I mean, this guy is so insignificant in the overall scheme of things in light of having just had dinner with the king and his wife. This guy is really meaningless, but this judge won't stand up. He won't bow before Haman. And it just drives Haman crazy. Someone has said, you could tell the character of a person by what irritates them. Little people are irritated by little things. Big people don't get irritated except by big things. But Haman is a little person. And when he walks out of that meeting with the king and queen, he is so pumped up and so over-impressed with himself, he sees Mordecai, this righteous Jew who knows he is not to bow down before anybody except God, and he won't bow down, and it's just driving Haman crazy. Hmm. Hey, there's more to this story, and you have to join us tomorrow on the Wednesday edition of Turning Point to catch up, and we'll finish the first 15 verses tomorrow, and then we're on to the sixth chapter uh, after tomorrow's message. We're moving, through, we're moving through Esther, and we're making progress, and every day the story gets more interesting and more intriguing. The plot thickens, if you will, 
And uh, I'm glad I'm able to share this story with you. I love uh, the stories of the Bible. I preach everything that I come across in the Bible. I'm teaching Ephesians in our church in San Diego right now. But I must confess, I have a great love for the personalities of the Bible. If I could do what I wanted to do, if I could preach only the things that I really love most to preach, it would always be about the people. But the Bible is pretty much a book about people. And uh, so wherever I open it, I find the principles that help people like you and me find our way um, on our journey to heaven. And we, we enjoy the journey. Please ask for your copy of The Promise Code by O.S. Hawkins when you send your gift to Turning Point this month. We'll send it to you right away. All you have to do is ask for it. And then don't forget, we're going to Alaska in July. Information about the Alaska tour is on our website. We're having incredible response to this opportunity, so don't wait. Make sure you get your reservation in as soon as possible. I'm David Jeremiah. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, Esther, for such a time as this, please visit our website. There you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of the latest book from leader and author O.S. Hawkins, The Promise Code. 40 Bible Promises Every Believer Should Claim. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions, available in a variety of attractive cover options. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue Esther for such a time as this on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. the young ones in your life on an unforgettable journey that will get them excited about the Word of God with the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible. Then continue the adventure with monthly audio adventures on airshipgenesis.com. Plus, download the Airship Genesis mobile game where kids will travel back in time to the life of Jesus. Blast off with the young one in your life at airshipgenesis.com. In all we do each day, Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point work to make a global impact for the kingdom of God. But we can't do it alone. That's where Bible Strong Partners come in. These loyal monthly supporters form the foundation of Turning Point, allowing Dr. Jeremiah to teach the whole counsel of God. Partnering with Turning Point enables you to share in the eternal impact of this ministry, leading people to Christ through our media and printed resources, multiplying Bible teaching broadcasts, presenting the gospel around the globe, and strengthening the saints. In appreciation for your partnership, Turning Point wants to provide you with exclusive monthly resources and study guides, member-only communications, an on-demand library of study content, and so much more. Are you ready to see what the Lord will do? Let's expect to change the world together. Go to davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong to become a BibleStrong partner today. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong. In his book, titled Intellectuals, the British historian Paul Johnson shows that most of history's great leaders were guilty of not living out the principles they promoted. For instance, the Russian novelist Tolstoy wrote, I have not yet met a single man who was morally as good as I. 
Well, even if Tolstoy's assessment of his own morality was correct, it would differ from the Bible's. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The measure of morality is not a human being, but God himself. Even the most moral man falls short of the glory of Jesus Christ. And this is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's solution to man's imperfection on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.